Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Harrington as he shares this week's message. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much. And Father, as we come this morning as anticipating and looking back to your first coming, we are anticipating the second. And as we come this morning, Lord, just open up our hearts afresh, anew. Lord, as we just celebrate your presence among us, expressing our love towards one another. And Lord, just prepare our hearts to truly live out this season of sacrifice and giving and receiving. In your name we pray. Amen. Again, we want to thank you this morning for our special service. Advent is a word that means coming or visit. In the Christian season of Advent, we prepare for the advent of Christ at Christmas, his coming. This morning, as we have uh, for several years, we'll be lighting our candles with a flame that originated in Bethlehem. And I want to thank the Johnsons for getting it for us. It's referred to as the hope of peace, and you'll see that there in the container. This flame originated in Bethlehem. Israel, the traditional place of Jesus' birth, lamps have been continuously on that site for over a thousand years. Early in December, the flame travels one person at a time from Bethlehem to Europe across the Atlantic to the United States. It takes about 150 people to get this flame here to Orange, and I would say then 153 with uh, four with the rest of us who got it here into the building. Congregations from coast to coast use this symbolic flame for their Christmas Eve candlelight services, joining thousands of other congregations around the world using the same millennia-old flame. It's a symbol of our unity with our Christian brothers uh, around the world and and around the United States, and it represents the birth of the Prince of Peace. And so by lighting each one of these candles this morning, we're going to help ourselves get ready for the birth of Christ. The candles have different meanings, each based upon the Bible. These meanings help us understand how special the birth of Jesus is, but also reminds us to pray with anticipation the Bible for the second advent, the second coming of Christ. He will appear a second time, the Bible tells us, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Amen? May we all be eagerly waiting for Christ. Charles Coffin, you'll see this here, he wrote a poem. It says, The advent of our God with eager hearts we greet, and we must praise him in this hour with hymns and anthems sweet. All glory to the Son who comes to set us free with Father, Spirit, ever one through all eternity. Our theme this morning comes from Pastor Dustin Bench, who reminds us what the birth of Christ means and how you and I should respond this season. And though Christ's birth was close to two millennia ago, it still reverberates throughout all of creation as God demonstrates his glory through the salvation of his children. So with that, I'm going to ask uh, the Currington's if they would come and light our first candle. 
The first candle, the birth of Christ, meant that God desired to be near us. God desired to be near us. What a wonderful truth. Milton Minson in his Gospel Primer writes that the God who is immense beyond imagination, who measured the entire universe with merely the span of his hand and is unimaginably awesome in all of his perfections, absolute righteous, holy, and is just in all his ways, desired to be near us. God, the almighty creator of all things, desires to have a relationship with us. Scripture, scripture, excuse me, begins our history with the wonderful words of the Trinity in Genesis, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the year and over, uh, uh, birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female he created them. The gospel primer goes on to state that this wonderful God is the most supreme worthy object of admiration, honor, and delight in all of the universe. And that God has created us with the intention that we might glorify him by finding our soul's delight in him and by living in joyful obedience to him in all of our ways. What a great God we serve. Amen. We continue with the second candle as the Johnsons come. And here the birth of Christ meant God chose to set his love on the unlovable. I'm sure if you were to describe yourself, you may not describe yourself or think of yourself as unlovable, but we need to look in the mirror of Scripture. Pastor Vincent continues to summarize scriptural truth when he writes that, yet we could not have failed this great God more miserably than we have. Instead of giving thanks to him and humbly submitting to his rule over our lives, we have rebelled against him and have actually sought to exalt ourselves above him. Going our own way and living according to our own wisdom, we have broken countless times either the letter or the spirit of every one of God's Ten Commandments. Scripture condemns all humanity. When the Apostle Paul writes to the Church of Rome, he says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that are made, speaking of all the trees, the plants, the heavens. In other words, he says that we are without excuse. All should know that there is a creator. Paul again writes, For although they knew God, it says that they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, making idols of those things. Therefore, Paul writes, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because, and here's the, here's the guilty part, they exchanged the truth 
about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. But yet as we think of us as being unlovable, we still see the apostle who wrote that also writes to the church of Ephesus, blessed be the God and Father, as we see on the monitor of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He goes on to write that in love, that God predestined us for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. As we come to the third candle, Cole, would you like to come and light the third candle? Here we see the birth of Christ meant that God refused to leave us in our sins. By every measure, God could have left us in our sin-stained state. Yet God, in love and mercy, he granted us his grace by refusing to leave us in our sin and our filth. Even as Adam sinned and rebelled against the holy God, God promises to redeem his people from their sin. Yet this was not something that we could do on ourselves. It's not something that we can conjure up among ourselves. Only God could rescue his people from their sin. The Bible tells us that while we were still weak, yet at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. He goes on to say that one would scarcely die for a righteous person, meaning who here would die for someone? Even a good person would sacrifice their life. Though perhaps a good person, he might consider it. He goes on to say but that God showed his love for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And his purpose was to reconcile us back to himself. The Bible tells us here on the monitor that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That, that means bringing things back to balance. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. But again, Paul writes, but God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with him. Now this is not due to any merit of our own, not because of our righteousness or any good works that you and I might do, but it's due to his love and to his grace and to his mercy. So this is one of the things that you have and I have to consider this morning is the amazing grace of God. His desire to love us and to make a path so that we could be made right with God or be declared right with God. Again, I'm asking the worship team to make their way up as we take amazing grace and sing a little bit different as we consider what Christ did for us. I'm going to ask you to stand with us as we lift up Christmas Amazing Grace. As we continue, we come to the fourth candle. And I'm going to ask if, is Gary here? Gary, if you can, you and Michael could come on up and light that candle for us. I would appreciate it. The birth of Christ meant God cannot forgive our sins, though, 
without a perfect sacrifice. God would not be just if he was to forgive us without a penalty being paid. The Lord had commanded Israel in the Old Testament, you shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable to you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or a freewill offering from the herd or from the flock, it must be accepted. It must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. In the New Testament, the writer of Hebrew writes that indeed under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, is made whole. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. For the penalty of sin is death. So a perfect substitute must die, must pay that penalty. You see, we are bound by the guilt of our sins and bound by the power of sin and we're enslaved to the various lust and pleasure. The psalmist, David, laments. He says, the Lord looks down from heaven and the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. This is describing us. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? So God provided a substitute for his people that the innocent may die for the guilty. At first, God accepted the blood of animals, sheep, goats, rams, so on and so forth, to appease his wrath. However, that was only temporary. They had to continually do it day after day, year after year. It could not make one whole. Again, the writer of Hebrew writes, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So he had to make a better way. Job cries out in his suffering. There is, or he goes, for he is not a man, speaking of God, saying, God is not a man as I am that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. Many of you know the story of Job where God and Satan had this cosmic battle and poor Job wound up being the instrument of that. He suffered much, the death of his children, physical disabilities and all sorts of depression and anxiety. And in it, he recognizes that there is no one that, or as a human, how could he go before God? He says, there is no arbitrator between us who might lay his hand on us both. Please let him take his rod from me and let not dread terrify, him, terrify me. Then I would speak without fear, for I am not so in myself. So in here, you and I need someone who can understand and arbitrate between the Father and between the human. One who could put his hand on the God the Trinity and one who could put his hand on us and be able to mediate between us. This brings us to the fifth candle. I'm going to ask the Smith, would you come? As we look at the birth of Christ meant that God was willing to provide that sacrifice. That sacrifice would be his son for hell-bound sinners. Jesus declared to his disciples that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have, ever, have eternal life. However, this demonstration of love would come at a great cost to his only son. The penalty of sin, 
our failure to conform to God's moral law and our actions and our attitudes and our nature is death. You see, it's not just our actions that cause us to be guilty, but it's our attitudes. It's the way that we think. It's our desire to be our own boss. But even then, it's not as if we could change because our nature is fallen. As frail humans, we could not endure the full measure measure of the wrath of God. There is none who could stand before him. Hence why Job cries out for a daysman, a deliverer, a savior. Jesus willingly took that role upon himself And in doing so, he would offer himself as a substitute sacrifice for our sin. If you'd like to take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah 53, we can see what the prophet Isaiah declares of the one who would become our Savior, the Messiah, the anointed one of God. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, It would say that this one who would give his life would be despised and rejected by men. He would be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hid their faces. He would be despised and not esteemed. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. It is with his wounds that we would be healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was he, God himself, who put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It is through this sacrifice that Jesus provided all that the Father required. Jesus' obedience secures the forgiveness, the righteousness, and all the blessings of salvation to all those who will repent and believe in Christ. The Apostle Paul writes here in the monitor that in him, speaking of Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished, I love that term, he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him through through things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. These blessings are included, the deliverance from the penalty of sin. No longer do you and I have to die and spend eternity in hell. It also means deliverance from the power of sin. We no longer have to be enslaved to our passions and desires, those things in which we rebel against God. But also one day, the presence of sin. No longer will this body be infirmed. No longer will this mind be infirmed with sin and sinful thoughts. But here's the key. As we hear this wonderful news all the time, But the plan of salvation, the redemption plan of God, has one element that you must take. You must 
positively respond to this wonderful, amazing gospel. And that's to repent of your sin. It means to turn 180 degrees. It's a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of behavior. It's it's walking one way and saying, no, I want to follow after Christ. But also means to put on faith. Once you and I repent, we must put our faith in Christ. That's a confident trust in the person of God. That when God says believe, then he, that, that, and we say yes, we do, that then God will honor that request. Scripture promises that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But here's the thing. It's more than just a vocal assent to the facts of the gospel or the facts of Jesus. It's, it's more than just to believe that Jesus was born. He was a historical figure or even to say, yes, I believe that he was Lord. Jesus himself, as you see, says this is a gift and a gift to all who receive it. He says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So you and I must die to self. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. So for you here today to receive that wonderful gift, that Christmas gift, so to speak, of salvation, you must respond positively to God's offer. Jesus calls you this morning to come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I pray that you would respond or have, for it's a wonderful gift, the most amazing gift of all. We now come to the Christmas story that we all know so well. It's found in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. If you want to open your Bibles, you can follow along. Let me read in verses 18 through 25 of Matthew 1, where it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sin. And all this took place to fill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This morning, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, Jesus, the good shepherd, Jesus, the one who forgives our sins, Jesus, who will come again, the son of Mary, the son of David, the very son of God. He is worthy of all worship and admiration. John MacArthur writes, seen here on the monitor, that Jesus did not merely humble himself and agree to be born in a smelly stable, but he humbled himself as a substitute for wretched sinners. And he bore the stench of their guilt in his own body on the cross. He came down to the common people to bring them his glorious salvation. The picture of the infinite Son of God tolerating a stable dirt and foul orders is a fitting metaphor 
for the later scene of the Savior bearing the stench of sin as he died at Calvary. What a time of rejoicing. At least it should within our hearts, not just during a Christmas season, but at all times. As we remember, the gospel is for all times. It is for believers as well. For we must remember that the story of redemption does not end at the stable, nor at the cross with his earthly ministry of preaching and healing. The Apostle Paul writes that this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Of course, you and I know that as well, that we are. But so is our family and our friends, our co-workers, those in our community. To do so, Jesus had to die for us. We are not only called to remember his birth, but also his crucifixion, his death, and resurrection. Again, going back to Pastor Benj, he writes that in the incarnation takes place, or the incarnation takes place in the darkness of a womb. The resurrection takes place in the darkness of a tomb. Away from the watching eyes, God performs his greatest acts. We are also called to anticipate his second advent this morning as the church, when Jesus will come to rescue God's children from the presence of sin. Again, Dr. Dr. Benz writes that the first advent, Jesus gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. But in the second advent, the, that, that child, that's the son of God, is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, the name by which he is called is the word of God. You see, the first advent of Christ, he came as a baby. He came humbled. He was, came wrapped in rags. He came in a manger. But the second advent of Christ, he comes as a warrior. He returns exalted. The, uh, he returns robed in glory. He returns as king. Jesus is not in the manger any longer. But until that great day, We are called to be his witnesses, his ambassadors, the fragrance and aroma of Christ to the world so that they may know what Christmas means, what Christ or what the Father meant by sending his Son. Jesus told us, looking here on the the monitor, that we, those who have repented, who have died to self, put their trust in Christ, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on the stand, and it gives light to all in the house. He goes on to say, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Pastor John MacArthur reminds us that the real beauty of Christmas is not in snowflakes, is not in reindeers, it's not in presents, but the real beauty of Christmas is understanding the ugliness it cures. Let me say that again. The real beauty of Christmas is understanding the ugliness that it cures. So as we leave this morning, we are called to not only respond positively to the message of the gospel, but you and I are called once we have received it is to share it with our family, with our friends, our loved ones, our coworkers, those in our community, because they need to know what Christmas truly means. What was its purpose? This morning, I'm going to ask you to take your candles, and if you would stand with me. Nolan, would you make your way down here, please? Okay, if you can go ahead and grab your candles.
Okay, no, oh, we're going to do right here from the Christ candle. You got your candle like this? No, 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 from the Christ candle right here. But he's got a thing. He's going to have to learn. <laughs> okay, turn to me. Okay, light mine. And then I'm going to ask you to light your daddy's and then go light Grammy's. Okay? And as we each, as he lights each of those, just those two, and then you can stand by Grandma. Is then I'm going to ask you to turn and light the candle as well behind those and so on and so forth. For in this, we want to share the goodness of God and his light. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.